Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be gathered together like this, like the children that we are, whom you've adopted by your grace. We thank you for your word and your spirit, for teaching us, for being patient with us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, and most of all, your love, which made this all possible. And most of all, Father, we thank you for being willing to give up your only son, your precious son, the only innocent one who ever lived on earth. We thank you for doing that thing for us and stepping out, acting on your tremendous love so that we could all be saved. We ask your blessing to be upon this lesson. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. Undistracted devotion to the Lord, part 11. So on Sunday, um, I know uh, some of you couldn't even make it to class with some of the uh, traffic changes in the area, but there were a lot of small yet critical points on Sunday that I won't, I was even trying to fit them all into this lesson tonight, and I really couldn't without kind of forcing it. Um, between the notes I had taken and, and uh, the main points Pastor covered in his notes. So Pastor was speaking to us from the heart on Sunday, and the Spirit gave him quite a few vital statements for us to ponder. And um, when I was going through his notes even, he only got through about 10 pages of notes, which is not much. Usually it's more like 15. So in other words, the Spirit just kind of was leading him and having him, him say things to us that we needed to hear that weren't even in his notes. So my recommendation is, uh, if you haven't listened to Sunday's message, please do. And if you did listen Sunday and you have no idea what I'm talking about, you might want to listen again because there were a lot of good things. So last week, if you recall, we saw a Greek word for devotion for which one meaning was persevering affection. And that brought us to Abraham's test of faith and how it was also a test of his love for God. And it was a test of his love for God for one particular reason, which I actually overlooked when I went to this passage last week. And that reason is that Abraham had tremendous love for his own son, Isaac. I mean, it goes without saying, right? But it's actually in the scriptures in Genesis 22, the son whom he loved, which we'll see a little bit later on. So how would it have been a test of love for Abraham if God had asked him to give up something or someone that he really didn't care about too much? Is that a test? Obviously not. But when you love something and you're asked to give it up, that's a true test. And God has every right to ask us these questions, being who he is and what he's done for us. God desires to be our greatest love. So he picked out Abraham's greatest earthly love and asked him to show God that he loved him more. In other words, there's no, um, there's no skirting around it. 
There's no talking God into it. Yeah, I love you more. You don't have to test me in this area. You know I love you, Lord. Right? There's no way um, around a true test or the value of a true test. God asked Abraham to show that he loved him more than his own son. And that's because deeds, and this is a big thing that came out on Sunday, deeds are the proof or the evidence of where one's heart truly is. And there's no way around that reality in life. That's like how life works. On the board, your deeds, in other words, the things you actually do, your deeds are a reflection of where your heart is. And there's no way around that. They're the ultimate proof of where your heart is. As in Matthew 7, 15 through 23 and Matthew 15, 18, we've seen those in the past, you know, about how we're known by our fruit. Um, and what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. So we might also say our deeds give us away. No matter what kind of game we talk, our deeds give us away. Again, on the board, your deeds are a re reflection of where your heart is. So, for example, Jesus said many times in different ways, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Correct? Very plain, very straightforward. If you love me, you will keep my commands. What's implied in that statement? If you don't keep his commands, you don't really love him. That's what's implied. You might say you love Christ, but the painful truth is that you don't, if you don't keep his commands. And there are all different degrees of, of love for God. You know, it's a, a continuum. No one ever arrives. But that's the measuring stick. So deeds, the things we are actually willing to do, like Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, the things we are actually willing to do are the proof of where one's heart truly is. As came out on Sunday on the board, if love for Christ is your root system or your motivation, then your deeds will be good and fruitful bringing glory to God. If love for Christ is your root system, is your motivation, then your deeds will be good and bring glory to God. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says the love of Christ motivates us. If that's true about you on a habitual basis, not to perfection, but if that's what motivates you to do what you do in life, not just in church, but in your daily walk, if the love of Christ is what motivates you, then you can and will produce divinely good fruit and bring glory to God. Now, at this point, we were encouraged on Sunday, don't get religious about this principle on the board. Don't put the cart before the horse. Don't start saying, uh-oh, my deeds are a little sparse or a little weak. Let me do some deeds for the Lord so that the Lord thinks I love him. It doesn't work in reverse. It's ridiculous. So we should currently examine our deeds so that it might show us a weakness in our heart towards God. 
That's why on Sunday we were encouraged, examine your deeds. Look at your deeds, honestly. And does it indicate something's wrong in your lifestyle? You say one thing, but do you do a different thing on a habitual basis? And if so, let that reveal a weakness in your heart towards God. Maybe he's not your first love right now. But we are not to force good deeds as some way of fixing our bad heart. That's not how life truly works. So on the board, if you find that your deeds are inadequate or inappropriate, God wants you to examine your heart and to turn to him and his word for help with fixing it. What do you do? Do you panic? Do you force it? Do you try to fool God by performing deeds on purpose that your heart's not into, that you think he'd like? Or if you find your deeds are inadequate or inappropriate, look at your heart. God says, examine your heart. Why are they inappropriate? That's what I want you to see, son, daughter. Why are they lacking? And when you see that, then, then, then I can fix it. When you're willing to admit that, I can fix it. And we turn to him for help fixing it. We can't do it ourselves. Mark 9, 24, Luke 17, 5, basically saying, increase our faith, Lord. Help my unbelief. That's where it begins. So back to Abraham's test. It was a test because he really, truly loved and cherished his son Isaac. And as I mentioned uh, last week, I read Genesis 22 for you all. The whole test that God gave Abraham. And I breezed over this statement on the board that came out from Pastor. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son whom he loved. In verse 2. He was willing to sacrifice his only son whom he loved. Isn't that the key to the whole thing? Let's say it was a son he didn't love. You know, let's just say they had a lot of problems. I don't know. Let's say he was a rebel. Let's say he wasn't the promised seed. Well, it's a little bit easier of a sacrifice to make. But again, the whole key is that Abraham loved his son. So it's a love test, not just a faith test. And we talked about how love and faith are so intimately related, so closely tied together. As the Spirit also brought up on Sunday on the board, Abraham is positioned here as a type of our Father in heaven, with Isaac being a type of Christ in Genesis 22. So it was prophetic in a way, pointing us to what God would do for us one day through giving up his only son, whom he loved so much. What a visual aid Abraham and Isaac gave us. Thousands of years before, the Lord would be sacrificed. And what Abraham was willing to do, he, didn't, he wasn't asked to follow through with it, but he was willing. He raised the knife, right? What Abraham was willing to do, God actually did for us. Let's turn to John 3, 16 and see what we might call the fulfillment of that type. John 3, 16. What Abraham was willing to do, God actually did for us. God is so like uh, patient and gracious, even with how his word is designed. Like he, 
he writes it all down ahead of time, thousands of years before even. And he, he, he leads his people up to it, up to the cross, so that there's no confusion what the cross is about and who, who is on the cross. All these things point to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no confusion or even surprises. It's all in the scriptures. So John 3:16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. What motivated our Heavenly Father to do this unspeakable thing, to go through with this unspeakable thing? We can learn part of that answer through Abraham, who is a type of the Father. He was motivated by love. If Abraham wasn't motivated by love for God, he wouldn't have been able to raise the knife. Think about it. If Abraham didn't love God, he wouldn't have been able to raise that knife. He wouldn't have had the power. So on the board, only the power of God's love can give us the willingness to raise the knife on people or things that might wrongly take precedence over God in our lives. Was it good for Abraham to cherish his son, the promised one, even? Absolutely. Was it good for him to love him greatly? Absolutely. But God said, you don't love him more than me, do you? That would be wrong. That, that is supremely wrong for any of us that take it to that point, that forget the giver of the gifts. Again, on the board, only the power of God's love can give us the willingness to raise the knife on people or things that might wrongly take precedence over God in our lives. You can try to pass a test like that all you want on your own. You won't be able to if you don't have the love of God. You could try all you want. You could force it. You can um, try to talk yourself into it. Try to fool yourself. <laughs> You'll be weak. You'll be running away from that test without the power of God's love. And maybe that's why, you know, Abraham had to wait till he was over 100 years old to get that test. Because before that, he probably didn't have that same love that he had then. And so it is with us too. God's so patient and will take his time with us. But only the power of God's love can do that type of a miracle in us. And we should consider that as we face off against things in our lives that take Jesus Christ away as our first love. Because every day we face off against these things. We might get reprieves at times, but every day we're confronted with a counterfeit love to take his place, to take his top position in our hearts. So we should consider this point on the board that love is the source. God's love is the source. You don't have enough, ask him for more. Ask him to show you more. Think about the cross more. Just ponder the cross one afternoon. Another key point of the Spirit has been that blessings from God are often contingent on our obedience, what we've called conditional blessings. 
And unless we pass the test and hold to Jesus as our first love, He cannot release certain blessings to us. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 22.16. Genesis 22.16. Again, unless we pass the test and hold to Jesus as our first love, God cannot release certain blessings to us. He wants to, but He can't do it. Mainly because we can't handle it. Genesis twenty-two sixteen. And said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. So there's a conditional statement. Because you have done this thing. On the board, the Lord reveals a cause-effect relationship between loving him loving Him more than our greatest loved ones, and blessings. Again, the Lord reveals a cause-effect relationship between loving Him more than our greatest loved ones and blessings. And again on the board, we have to ask ourselves in our quietest moments of reflection, do we love others more than we love the Lord? And right along with that, do we love ourselves, our own lives, more than we love the Lord. And we shouldn't be afraid of analyzing our deeds. As in Revelation 2 and 3, where the Lord says, I know your deeds. Five times. Why did he say that? He's saying, you can't hide your heart from me. I even see it in your deeds. Not only do I know your heart, but I see it in your deeds. I know your deeds. And again, the the statement on the board, we shouldn't be afraid of analyzing our deeds. Why? There's at least two reasons. Number one, he knows all of our deeds already, even the ones we try to hide or fabricate or twist. And also, we know he loves us. God's not like after us trying to catch us to condemn us. He's after us so that we can see what's going on, so that we can be set free from bondage. So we shouldn't be afraid of analyzing our deeds honestly when we look at our lifestyles. You know, God already knows and God loves, loves us more than, more than we can even imagine. So you need to ask yourself a question. Do you really want to keep yourself in the dark about your own deeds? You might say, how am I in the dark about my own deeds? Have you ever heard of denial? Anyone living in denial right now? I am. At least in some areas of my life, I probably am, and I don't even realize it. I haven't opened my eyes to that yet or been willing to see it yet, maybe. Do you really want to keep yourself in the dark about your own deeds? It's not like ignoring them hides them from God's sight. Like a little child closing his eyes. Oh, Daddy doesn't see me now because I covered my eyes. Who loses out when you ignore examining your own deeds and lifestyles? You do. From freedom. Is it going to be painful possibly? Yes, it it possibly will. But if you've been through this before with other things in your life, you know when you come out on the other side, you're like, whew, thank God. It was tough. I kept resisting for no reason. I stupidly resisted, but now I see, and now I'm set free from that. And God's like, just do it again. By faith. 
come on along. And as the word tells us, we lose out on the true blessings of life when we, we resist being honest and open. Look again at verse 16, Genesis 22. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, here's the effect to the cause and effect, because you have done this thing, indeed, I will greatly bless you. And notice this is just a general statement to Abraham first. I will greatly bless you. And in addition, specifically, I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So there's the cause and effect we've been talking about. Uh, here's what God is having us consider on the board once again regarding conditional blessings. The fact that the Bible never skirts the issue of cause-effect when it comes to conditional blessings is something we must take the time to understand wholly. Sometimes people don't want to hear this on the board that blessings are conditional. Um, they might make it into some kind of a works program where you operate in your own power and get on a treadmill to try to get blessings. But God is simply saying, if you obey, I I'm free to release these blessings. And if you obey, obey out of love, I'm free to release these blessings to you. God wants to give us so much, but we can't handle it or enjoy it unless we have the right heart first. And that is a heart after him. Unless we have that, we're not even going to, even if he gave us everything, we'd, we'd like either not see it or we take it for granted and go off and do something foolish with it. So for example, as a good father, God so desires us to bask in the glory of his love. Sometimes you might even say, Lord, why don't you just like pour out your love on me right now? So I, you know, instead of me trying to figure it out or I, I don't see it all, just give it all to me now. Flood me with your love. He wants to do that, but he can only do it to a willing heart, to someone that has him as first love. In, their, in our desires, you know what I mean? In our motivation, as we talked about. But unless we're willing to be taught and then willing to obey his voice, from which all goodness comes, our hearts are going to be trapped in the lies of the world by our own disobedience. Let me say that again. Unless we're willing to be taught, number one, which most many of you are, you wouldn't be here. Unless we're willing to be taught and then willing to obey his voice. Unless we're willing to do those two things in a surrendering, you know, submission to the Lord. Our hearts are going to be trapped in the lies of the world by our own disobedience. And therefore, our free will or by our own free will, we are rejecting the love He desires us to walk in and enjoy. By our own choice. He wants to flood us with His love to reveal more of Himself to us. But unless we're willing, we're going to be deceived by the things in the world instead and fall for the counterfeits. 
we have turned to other loves. We all have to some degree. And they're false loves, really, if they're placed ahead of our Lord in our hearts. Even the good things, even the good people God's given us, if they're ahead of the Lord in our hearts, they become false loves or counterfeit loves. So in other words, even though God wants to bless us in all ways, we do it to ourselves. We say no to his ways and choose our own. And only a surrender to the Lord will set us free from ourselves. And this is a daily process. This is sanctification. This is why we're here several times a week. This is why we have a blog provided to us and our own Bibles, and, and we now have the courage and the confidence to read our own Bibles. So, this daily surrender, this daily walk, is what's going to set us free from ourselves. Then we were asked on Sunday to seriously consider something on the board. Since our God is a God of perfect integrity. The sword cuts just as cleanly in both directions also, whether blessings or curses. Just something to think about. Because our God is a God of perfect integrity, the sword cuts just as cleanly in both directions, whether blessings or curses. We don't like to think about that, but that's how true God is. That's how faithful God is. In other words, there are consequences in either direction based upon our choices of who we follow and love. On the board, Exodus 20, verse 5, we've seen, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Notice once again, the issue with God is our love for Him. The issue with God is our love for Him. Why was iniquity visited on the children even of the fathers who made poor decisions? Because they, quote-unquote, hated God. And that lack of love for Him results in a curse, a real curse in our lives or even our family's lives for rejecting the love of God. That's part of God's integrity. Perfect integrity. Following through on doing the right thing. And the Spirit also gave us this on Sunday on the board. In a perfectly divine way, God is pleased to bless or curse in order to maintain his holiness. Similar principle, right? His integrity. He sticks to it. The right thing will always be done by God. And in that sense, it's pleasing to him. Whether it's a bless or a curse that he has to follow through on, it's pleasing to him because it's maintaining his holiness. He's doing the righteous thing in the situation even towards those that, quote-unquote, hate him. He will follow through and faithfully give a curse in hopes of waking people up, right, ultimately. But that's part of his integrity. 
That's why his son Jesus was declared by the Father to be, quote-unquote, pleasing to him, because he always did the right thing, right? He always did the right thing. That's what was so special. Uh, uh, that's what endeared the son to the Father, even in his actions. He lived a perfectly right life, and that was motivated by the right motivation, which is love for the Father. And when we live in righteousness, that's motivated by our love for the Father, then you have obedience and abiding in His love and even joy. If we're willing to take His love as number one instead of a substitute. That was something that was brought up on Sunday too. God offers us His love and we reject it. We say no. I'm not willing to drop my counterfeit loves. But we're the ones missing out on freedom and joy and true peace. As we also saw on Sunday, the Lord was also pleased to crush His beloved Son. And how can that be? Just think about that statement. How can God be pleased to crush His perfect Son, whom He loved? It wasn't just to save us. He wasn't pleased about this just because he knew he was going to save us. Also because his son was willing to be the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. That pleased him as a father. How proud would you be as a father if your son chose to make a sacrifice to save the lives of others who were in danger? You might be heartbroken, but you'd also be overwhelmingly proud. It's like how proud you are as parents when your son decides to put his own life aside to serve his country, to a smaller degree. But to a much greater degree, the Son of God faced the cross and was willing to go through with it for the benefit of others who are facing eternal judgment. So the Father was pleased to crush him. So proud of his son. On the board, Isaiah 53:10, part A. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. As quote-unquote crazy as this is, God's plans are always different than man's. And maybe that's because his love is so different from man's. It's not even close, right? We like to keep it within distance. We like, to, we like to think we're close to the love of God in our own thoughts or understanding. God doesn't place limits on His love like we do in our fallen state. So what we think is right or reasonable doesn't matter, thank God. If it was up to us what was reasonable, <laughs> just wipe everybody out all these sinners, all these rebels, all these who hate me. If we were God, we'd probably just wipe everybody out. That's wrong. And our patience would be a lot shorter than God's is. But <laughs> we're not even close to God's thoughts or His love. On the board in Isaiah 55, 8-9 in the Living Bible, this plan of mine is not what you would work out, 
neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. One reason, because his love is infinitely higher than man's love. That's why this crazy plan was followed through on by both the Father and the Son. It's something that we cannot attain to. And God actually acts upon his love, thank God. Acts upon his love. His love is so tremendous, so much higher than ours, infinitely higher than ours, ours, but he doesn't just leave it at that. In his integrity, he acts upon this love that he claims to have, that he does have. I use human terms. Another point the Spirit gave us on Sunday on the board, God wants us all to experience his love firsthand. His love is the greatest blessing of all in this life, whether we realize right now, you know, functionally in our lives or not right now. His love is the greatest blessing of all in this life. And he wants us to experience it firsthand. And God went to the most extreme lengths imaginable with his own son so that we might experience his love firsthand. And we were also asked to be objective on Sunday and look at the facts. For example, we know that God's own integrity demanded a payment for sin. Sin had to be judged. Someone's got to pay for this, this crime, if you will. Someone's got to pay for this. And God, in his perfect knowledge, knew the only way to save us sinners was to somehow do it himself. To make the payment himself. But a payment had to be made for sin. And he knew fallen creatures could never meet his righteous demands. And as we know, he decided to step up and step out and step down from heaven to fulfill his own righteous demands for us, his enemies. He judged his son and therefore was able to lovingly save us Save those who would turn to him in humility. So in eternity past, even before creation, God had a choice to make if he wanted to save us. And he did. He made the choice and followed through on it. Also from Sunday's wonderful lesson on the board regarding God's loving choice. If, a conditional statement, if he was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son, and if said son was willing to die willingly on his cross to accomplish his father's will, then we all would have a way back to him, to be reconciled to him, to have peace with him forever. But two huge ifs. Think about how much could have gone wrong in this plan of God. Think about the devil tempting Jesus on the earth to sin just once so he couldn't be the perfect sacrifice. Think about all the things that could have gone wrong. Think about the son had the freedom right and even in, the, in that garden of Gethsemane. Had the freedom to run away and not follow through with it. But both 
if statements, big ifs, were met by the integrity and the love of God. What a picture. And our God is such a God of integrity. This came out on Sunday also. He even held himself to his divine standards of love doing, not just saying, of love taking action. God doesn't tell us what to do without doing it himself. He's the total opposite of a hypocrite. He does and is willing to do everything he says is right. And that ultimately was proven at the cross. Having the divine integrity to act in his love made this all possible for us. And that's why I don't think I'll ever get tired of reading our main passage in John 15. Turn again to John 15, verse 7. John 15, 7. The ifs that God asks us to do, the commands he asks us to obey, are nothing compared to the ifs that he followed through on in his own integrity and virtue and love. John fifteen seven. If, again a conditional statement, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that... So here's the result. Here's the result of the conditional statement being met. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You see God's heart for us? You see what the Lord wants for us? But there are some ifs involved. Because without free will going along, in submission, in surrender, in love, we can't realize His joy. So on the board, our joy is conditional. Joy in time for a believer is conditioned upon obedience. We've seen this in John 15 we just read and John 16, 24. Look at John 16, 24 again. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. So let's visit a few more passages about this connection between obedience and joy and love. Uh, we're just going to go through a, a, a bunch here, so just uh, get your fingers ready. Go back a couple chapters to John 14, verse 21. John 14, 21. In other words, only by doing things God's way will we get to see God's blessings and even who he is more. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. 
Could there be a more intimate statement from the God of the universe? The God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, wants to disclose himself to you. Reveal supernatural things about himself that he won't tell everybody. If we're willing, if we obey the conditions, he can release these things to us. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.1. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. We're going to read a good chunk of this passage here. And just take it in context. Think of everything we've been talking about with obedience and abiding in His love and joy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we, ha- we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, and attend to your own business, and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Our food is to do His work. Correct? Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what we just read in this passage? Our food is to do His work. What brings satisfaction and fulfillment in this life is living like this. What brings peace in this life is living like this. For the right motivation, love for the Lord. We do it for Him. We look at verse 4 again. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Think of royalty. Think of nobility. Think of where God has elevated you to by grace through faith in Him. He's saying, honor me now. Possess your own vessel that I've given you in sanctification and honor. Bring me glory. If you love me, you'll do that thing. And it'll be easy. Won't even be difficult. If you love me. Go to 1 John 2, verse 5. 1 John 2, verse 5. We have to ask ourselves who we care more about ourselves or Him? 
Who do you care more about? Yourself and your own life and your own comfort or his glory? 1 John 2, 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. There's the fruit, there's the deeds, the evidence of your motivation. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Look at 1 John 3, 21. 1 John 3, 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Verse 23, this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in him and he in him. We know this, well, we know by this, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And look at 1 John 5, verse 1. 1 John 5, 1. I hope you're seeing connection after connection after connection, often with conditional statements. But the blessings are there that God really desires to release to us upon obedience. 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. In other words, this is not a mystery or a puzzle that's hard to figure out. The truth is plainly being stated to us. Again, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Finally, on Sunday, we had a talking to by the Spirit, about how the lifestyles we keep might be getting in the way of our love for God. On the board, Pastor put it this way. I put this on the board for you, even though um, it wasn't on Sunday. He said, a lifestyle may not be sinful by itself. However, if you are weak in a certain area, and you architect a lifestyle that consistently places you in the crosshairs of temptation, then you are sinning. In other words, on the surface, a lifestyle in itself might not be sinful. But it is sin if you already know that something's not good for you, or if you already know that lifestyle leads you down a certain path. And you know, don't you? You know. You know why you do things, if you take a moment to examine yourself. As Pastor said on Sunday, this is the whopper, because it's so easily ignored and even defended. This is often what we refuse to talk about, our lifestyles. 
Why is this? Because we know it's true and we don't want to infringe on the comfortable habits of our flesh. It's like we're defending the flesh. It's like we're saying, yeah, but I, I need that outlet, let's call it. I need that. Um, I'm not willing to give that up. It's not really bad. That, that's an honest lifestyle. That's a, um, not a sinful lifestyle. No, but you know what it leads to for you, which might be different for me. And it's between you and the Lord. And all the Spirit's been asking us to do lately is to be honest with Him and ourselves. And then the truth can set us free. On the board, Pastor also said this on Sunday, if you are knowingly premeditating a lifestyle that ultimately takes you away from your first love, then even though the lifestyle at face value isn't sinful, just you knowing that it results in sin due to weaknesses in yourself, well, my friends, that is a sin. Why? Well, how about because God looks at the heart? And he knows what you know. He knows everything that you know, that you're pretending you don't know. Go to Romans 14, 14 again. Romans 14, 14. If you're premeditating anything and it leads you down a wrong path, God knows that you know what you're doing. Even though you play, you know, play dumb. Romans 14, 14. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything is to be, is, is, I'm sorry, anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. You see the key? To him who thinks it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. What if you choose to have a glass of wine in front of those that you know are alcoholics? And they know that you know they struggle in that area. What does that say for the love of Christ that you're supposedly talking about. You're talking about but not showing. Right? On the board. This came out on Sunday also. Lifestyle versus sin. Too many people try to justify their ungodly lifestyles by focusing on a benign lifestyle instead of the consistent sin it produces. If you choose to live an evil lifestyle, it's your choice that stands out as the sin. Not necessarily the lifestyle, for it may be fine for someone else. Let's say there's a certain TV show that you like. What if the reason you like it is that it brings out certain ungodly desires in you? Certain lusts. And there are many different kinds of lusts even. What if that's the reason you like the show? And that may even be hidden from others around you you're watching the show with but this takes place in your own heart. And you're knowingly and willingly feeding your lust pattern. So if you're honest, is that the reason you really like that show? You know, you, you say the right things to somebody else, right? Oh, I really like that show. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's so clever. It's so well-written. 
in the meantime, you really like that show for a different reason. And do you knowingly watch it because of the fleshly satisfaction it gives you? If you know in your heart that's why you watch it, then you're sinning. You're willingly submitting to a lifestyle that on, on the surface may not be sinful, but you know what it leads to for you, to a certain sin, let's say. Let me give you a personal example, and I'll keep this generic. There was a computer program that was dragging me down. The program itself wasn't bad, but it was often leading me down the wrong path to be focused on ungodly things. So I had to literally cut it out of my life. In itself, the program was fine. There was nothing wrong with it, but it wasn't good for me. It regularly brought me down, and that's called a lifestyle. So I threw it out. Some of you listening to my voice right now need to consider the same thing, especially in our day and age of technology. What computer program or other form of technology is making you a slave of something ungodly or leads you to a certain area of falling? on a habitual basis called the lifestyle. On the surface, it may, there may be nothing wrong with it, but for you, it may lead you down a wrong path. Maybe you simply have access to technology too easily and you need to redesign your life, change your lifestyle in that area. You might need to make some drastic changes so that your lifestyle, the design of your life isn't easy towards these things or towards your weaknesses, whatever they are. Something to consider. It's between you and the Lord. And remember, the Lord knows what you know. So let's close with a loving reminder from the Spirit on a positive note from our God who wants us to have nothing but the best in life. Why does God tell us all these things? Why does He give us so many commands that seem burdensome but really aren't. They're only burdensome because we lack love for him. But why does he give us all these commands? For our benefit. As a perfect, perfectly wise father who loves us terribly. So our closing point on the board also came out on Sunday. The truth is that we lose blessings when we choose to focus our attention and often our affections on someone or something other than our first love, Jesus Christ. God doesn't want us to lose out on blessings. We do it to ourselves. But the only way to realize His blessings is to surrender to Him as the source of true love, as the only true love. Again, man's love's down here. God's love is as, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much higher His love is than us. Are we willing to, to go there? Are we willing to, willing to trust Him with that? There's faith and love again. Are we willing to trust Him that His love is so far greater than any love on this earth that we're clinging to as a first love, a false first love? Again, the truth is that we lose blessings when we choose to focus our attention and often our affections on someone or something other than our first love, Jesus Christ. And God doesn't want this for us. 
He wants us to have such joy and ecstasy, dare I say, and love and peace in our hearts and our souls. And he's just kind of waiting for us to come along and submit and surrender more and more and more. He's so, so, so patient. Remember, love is patient. Love is kind. And that's all he is to us over and over and over and over. But he does not desire that we lose out anymore on true love and true peace and true joy. So let's rest on that. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word and how supernatural it is and how it all just goes together so perfectly. And Father, we ask that you just help open our eyes so we can see these things, so we can trust you more, even trusting your love more, that you are who you are and you even proved it. We know you proved it on the cross once for all. We ask that you give us more faith to see these things and to enjoy your blessings as you design them to be. We ask all these things in the name of our precious Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen.